Hi, educators. This is Danny Sloan and Matt Winters from the UEN Homeroom Podcast. We'd like you to listen in on our episodes in this month. Join us this November for two great episodes. Our first episode is with E.E. Dowd, a national author and global educator. Our second episode is with First Lady of Utah, Abby Cox, and her Deputy Director of First Lady Initiatives, Sarah Allred, to discuss the recent Show Up for Teachers conference. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you then. Listen to the Utah Teacher Fellows Podcast. Hello, my name is Ryan Rarick. I'm one of the hosts of the Utah Teacher Fellows Podcast, and I invite you to join the social media team from the Utah Teacher Fellows as we interview different teachers and teacher leaders throughout the state. We explore the greatness of the profession through individual teacher stories. Find the Utah Teacher Fellows Podcast at theutahteacher.com or on any major podcasting platform such as iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Amazon, and Stitcher. Hey folks, welcome back to the USET Podcast, where we talk about all things Utah, education, and technology. I'm Kara Bettis, currently serving as the president-elect for the USET Board and your host of the USET Podcast. You can always find me on Twitter at KBettis, especially on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. for Utah Ed Chat. And just as a side note of the current events, my hope is that Twitter survives, but in case it doesn't, We'll let you know where else you can connect with the Utah EdTech community. So don't worry, we'll find a way. Anyway, for our third episode of this season of the USEC Podcast, we sit down with another one of the major partners in Utah education, the Utah State Board of Education themselves. Well, not the whole board, but we sit down with a valuable component of the board, Melanie Durfee, Michael Hakkarainen, and Rick Gaysford, the Digital Teaching and Learning Team at the Utah State Board of Education. We are so excited to get into the discussion today with them. Welcome back to the USET Podcast. We are so excited today to get into a discussion with our guests, the DTL team at the Utah State Board of Education. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes, of course. Um, so as we get started, if you don't mind uh, introducing yourself and sharing, what are you most passionate about with digital teaching and learning? Should we rock, paper, or scissors to see who goes first, Melanie? <laughs> sure. Or maybe there's an app that can do that for us. <laughs> I'll let you go I first. Okay. Um, I work, let's see, what am I most passionate about with the digital teaching and learning? Um, and that is that school can become for everyone. Um, when I tell people that I'm in education, they say, oh, my son, he's a good kid. He hated school, but now he's a really successful adult. But oh, school was a struggle for him. And I think, oh, I don't like the butt in there. So my passion is to make public school a dream come true for every single student. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, I'd have to share the same sentiment, Melanie. I, I, I appreciate the way you said that, a dream come true. Um, 
My name is Michael Hakarainen. I'm the Personalized Competency-Based Learning Specialist, and uh, or PCBL, as we like to acronymize everything, which makes it more complicated than it really needs to be. It's a really simple concept that's about returning ownership and voice and choice and the ability for students to, you know, have some uh, say in their learning. And so that school doesn't become something that happens to them, but school and education in general is something that they're part of, that the data that we collect is something they can use to determine where they are and where they want to go and who they want to become. And I think with this time in our, our history is like, it's really essential that we start supporting our future citizens to be autonomous. And that's what both Portrait of a Graduate and PCBL is all about. Awesome. Thank you. Melanie, did we get what you, do you have a title or a specific area yes. that you work on with DTL? I am the achievement specialist. So I am on the lookout for ways to measure student achievement in addition to end-of-level test scores, unlike student engagement, self-directed learning, things like that, so that we have some markers along the way about the practices um, that students are learning, um, not just about the end result, um, the small snapshot that is end-of-level testing. Perfect. Thank you. So before we dive into the nitty-gritty questions that we have prepared, I wanted to ask, would you, as our icebreaker, would you rather be the funniest or the smartest person in the room? I don't even have to think. I want to be the funniest. And it's really hard with Michael around. I had to, I've given up Michael's type of humor, which he is so good at, and I've tried to get my own. So being with Michael, working with Michael has really made me grow as a comedian. <laughs> That's, I don't know if that's a compliment or not. I've been told I have a very deadpan sense of humor, but I don't know if that's true or not. Sarcasm stings, and I like puns. And I think your question, Kira, is a trick question. Because yeah. in order for something to truly be funny, it has to have some connections to what people expect or don't expect. Um, but it also has to be balanced with sensitivity. And to make a long story short, you have to be really smart to be funny. Yeah. So I, I think the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes to both of those things. And so by the way, I want to compliment Melanie. She's super smart. She's she's really challenged me in my smartness. How's that? Thank you. <laughs> I was just going to say, you've won that question, but there's a lot of more questions. I'll see if I can win some of those. Is it a competition? Can we put up a scoreboard? It is not a competition. Yeah. I don't want that to come around. There's no... <laughs> There's no losers in this this podcast. There's only winners. Nice. <laughs> um, to your point, though, about comedians being really smart, I agree with you 100%. I really enjoy listening to audiobook autobiographies of comedians. So, like, I read Steve Martin's, I read Martin Short's, Billy Crystal's, just, like, a whole bunch of them. And it always really impresses me, their process of comedy and everything that goes into it it but you're right like you have to know so much and balance so much to make a joke round right yeah steve martin is a scientist and martin short is more of a physical comedian and i don't know if you've mm -hmm. seen only murders in the building ironically about people who create their own podcast but 
man, the balance of their humor back and forth, but they're experts. They've been doing it for 50 plus years each. Those yeah. guys are amazing. So I am so excited, like we get, like I said before, to have you guys on the podcast. This season of the USAT podcast, we've been going along with the theme for the USAT conference, which is Together at USAT. And our president, Matt Winters, his call to action was that the Utah USAT is the Utah Coalition for Educational Technology. And he says, we are a coalition and we need to do do more with our coalition. And so I reached out to all of our partners that we work with at USET. And USVE is a big partner for us. And so we wanted to meet with you guys and talk with you about how your work coincides with USET and educational technology for Utah. Let's start with the first question to kind of get a big idea of your team and what your you guys work towards, but what would you say is the detailed team mission and vision? I would say it's to provide the tools and the leadership to leaders, educators, so that education can be relevant for all students. So we provide tools and leadership, and our end result is that all students receive a relevant education so that five years from now, 10 years from now, um, what they learn is relevant in their world. I love that, that idea that we want it to be relevant, not just something they have to go through, but it's relevant. Michael, you were going to say something. Yeah, I think that along with that, we also are working really hard to create a community um, that can connect with each other and share. And Melanie's done a lot and has a lot happening this year with communities of practice where we can bring together the different LEAs. We're, we're a decentralized state. So in some ways, like for us as a state board of education to say that we have power is, is kind of a mirage. Like we, we have power in setting expectations and providing funding and, and the tools, but really the LEAs are, are the local education associations, like the, the districts and the charter schools, they're the ones who have the final say in what is best for their students. And by creating that community, I think that ties into what you're saying for the theme for USET. Like we are in this together. The state board works with UEN. UEN works very closely with USET and, mm -hmm. and all throughout all of the, the different districts, we all work together. And that's because we have a common purpose in education. It, if you were to talk about education as if it was a business, our consumer and our product are the same thing. We're trying mm -hmm. to create successful citizens for the futures. We want our students to grow up and be able to succeed and lead in Utah. So we're all in this together. There's no competition, just like in this podcast. <laughs> it's all about collaboration. And that that's what we try to do at the State Board of Education is to help create a collaborative learning community. Excellent. Thank you. What, what would you say are the different components? What would you say are the different components of your team? So, Michael, you said that you were PCBL. What other components are on your team that fall under the detail umbrella? We also have a wise sage. Oh, look, he's joining us now. <laughs> wise sage. Boy, that's a term I haven't heard. <laughs> Rick has had so much experience in this space that he, he always gives us perspective. So as I am thinking and Michael's thinking, hey, let's do this really cool thing, blah, 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 blah. Rick can say, that's a great idea and maybe slow down. Or he can say, oh, you, you need to uh, 
remember this stakeholder. Well, let me tell you the history of this. So this is a, a better way to navigate that because of what's happened previously. So as Michael said, so we have wise old sage and as Michael said, um, I do a lot with collaboration, trying to get people together who want to talk and trying to ask the questions that they want to talk about. Rick, welcome to the group. We just barely started and I had everyone kind of introduce themselves and what they're most passionate about with DTL. Um, do you want to... Do you want to take that for a second? Introduce yourself and what are you most passionate about with digital teaching and learning? First, Rick Gaseford. I'm the education technology specialist at, here at the State Board of Education and have been for, been here at the State Board of Education for 23 years. Uh, oh. Mostly with the title of education technology specialist, although there was a period of time I was called the internet specialist, whatever that might mean. <laughs> so back in the, back in the early days of, bringing the internet into schools. Most passionate is I think about providing equal opportunity for students, uh, wherever they might be, that they have equal access to educational resources. Um, I, I, I remember, you know, in earlier years of when I'm first starting at the State Board of Education, taking road trips, and there was a great, there really was a disparity between what the offerings of a student in a, in a more remote rural part of the state could have versus what they might be able to have if they were in a, large Wasatch Front high school or middle school. What I've seen now, what I've seen and what I continue to be passionate about is that we provide an equal opportunity wherever the student might be. And of course, I think we're beginning, you know, we've made great, great strides in, in the kinds of things that we can offer. And technology is sort of that equalizer. It can equalize the opportunities for students. Excellent. That actually is a perfect segue into our next question. What role do you see technology playing in education? So Rick talked about it being a great equalizer. What else can technology do for education? I, I want to jump into this because that you just forced me to, to sort of like reflect and have a little bit of an epiphany. I first started working with instructional technology in like 1998 when I was doing my student teaching and I joined uh, the education field a little late. I was like a career changer. So I didn't actually have my own classroom until 2002 and I was about 30 years old. And technology was something that naturally fit for me. Like I was the guy who everybody went to in the elementary school and said, can you hook up my projector to the computer? I turn the computer on first and the projector doesn't work. And those of you who are old enough to remember those days, you know, it was like a natural fit for me. And the thing I struggled with then, I struggle with now as well. I want to see technology be the catalyst for students to create and produce and not just a tool with which they consume. And for a long time, we've used, you know, even moving to one-to-one -one devices as a way to replace the textbook so students can consume content and they can get on Canvas and, you know, maybe take a quiz or do a discussion, but mostly they're just consuming content, watching videos and going to simulations and things like that. And I really hope to see technology become sort of like the new painter's palette and the actor's stage and the the writers, you know, call, I want to see technology be something students can use to innovate and produce new things we can't even imagine. I echo what Michael said. Uh, that's really what got me into technology many, many years ago was seeing a demonstration of a, a program called HyperCard. And it was about starting with the blank page. And you had to bring your knowledge and experience and your creativity to that, to that work to be able to produce a product. And to me, that was, that's where the power of technology really lies, is exactly what Michael was saying, is unleashing that 
new tools and, and opportunities for students to be able to demonstrate their learning, not just via a worksheet or a test um, that we've done forever and a day, but really being able to give students that opportunity to do, take what they have learned and, and be creative in how they want to present that information. I echo both of those, and I would like to add an addendum. Not all technology is is good for students. And so I, I think that DTL's role is also to start the conversations with all educators and, and especially teachers to say, hey, what's good for kids, what's not good for kids, and try to help the teachers get some develop wisdom and practices that are in the best interest of students. I think about my first foray into educational technology, like with any technology, you're like, oh my gosh, it's new and it's shiny and it's so much fun. But then as you get more experience, you're like, well, does this fit like what the goals I'm trying to achieve with my students? Does this, is it safe for my kids? There's all these other things that we just don't consider when we're first faced with it's new and, and it's exciting. And so I think it's really valuable to help teachers learn to have those conversations about technology. So Melanie, you brought up a really interesting point about um, the DTL team kind of helping look ahead at some issues that arise with technology and its implementation into schools. How has the DTL office provided foresight for some of these issues, particularly with technology in Utah education? How have you helped teachers look ahead well, one of the things that we are looking forward to doing is right now, a lot of parents and teachers are saying no technology is better than bad technology. We're, we're, we're trying to help them unpack that, to discover that if we do no technology, we're really not preparing students for their future. If we say there will be no social media ever, and we teach our students that social media is wrong and you don't engage with it, they never learn the rules of social engagement. They never learn, and their parents never learn, the social interactions that are happening on social media because the kids have to hide it from their parents. So kids who are using social media need an adult's help to navigate that. There aren't enough restraints yet that are set forth by these social media companies because they just have to make up guidelines as they go along. I know that TikTok after the bathroom challenge made a, made a whole whole bunch of new ways that parents can be more involved in their children's social media. So we're, we all have to learn as we go along because we don't have any history of teenagers and, and young students using social media. So what we have to do, what, what we try to do at, at DTL is to continue conversations and help parents have the courage and teachers have the courage to tackle these situations because, because they're not going away. I think that's a, and the not going away part is really, I think something that's important to remember. It, it, it is not going away. And I think that in, 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 in my years of, and that is that blocking and saying no are also not viable options. You can't just go around blocking everything. You can't just be saying, no, you can't do this and you can't do that. All that really does is it, it, in, in a child's mind is why not? And, that, and that's really an element of curiosity to only go and look maybe even more. So I think what you have to do is you have to teach, you have to teach skills. You have to be, I think now more than ever, technology skills, media literacy skills, digital citizenship skills are essential. 
and, and being able to teach good behavior, good, good skill sets, so that as this barrage of information and other resources and come about that they're prepared and they can, they can handle those, they can handle those things with a skill set that is coming from a positive. This talk about change, it's, I think we need to dive into the fact that it has more than just a one-to-one effect, the way technology is changing our students. It's actually changing our entire world, our economy and the way we do things. So even people who like maybe don't have a smartphone, you can't see it, don't have a smartphone, for example, because they don't want to participate in that, like they might not want to participate in social media and they may not use Airbnb or VRBO, but it's going to, those tools impact the way they use the hotels that they go to. And like try to imagine checking into your room without a phone or even in some cases opening the door to your room without a phone. So the fact that the technology has changed our world has a collateral impact on all of us. And I like what Rick and Mel, you're both saying, like, if you aren't participating, then it's something that happens to you and you need to comply and we need to move away from that compliance. And I think that's where, where PCBL kind of comes in is like the technology has allowed teachers to teach in a different way. And it's definitely having an impact on how our students learn. And because of that, we have some freedoms that were previously constraints from static textbooks and bells and you know, time was always the constant and learning was the variable. And now we're reversing that. If you aren't part of the evolution, you'll get left behind and you won't be able to check into your hotel room. I think at the heart of the DTL program is exactly, the, you know, to your question, what are we, what are we trying to do? Well, that, that's what the DTL program was really all about as it was being put together. And that was, there was a lot of technology out there and, and we do need to, we do, do need to embrace it in, in education. It, it's a part of life in general. And so we need to embrace it in, in schools as well. But I think, you know, the idea was to really stop the chasing of shiny things, you know, the new, and to be thoughtful about what it is that you really want to accomplish with the tools and the resources that you purchase. And that's why the the program is designed to really have you take a look at where you're at, where do you want to be? What are the goals that you have that you really want to accomplish? And then to design a plan that encompasses all of the aspects of technology, not just the devices, but the software, the professional learning of teachers, the infrastructure that's going to need to, you know, need to be a place to support all of that. And by doing all of that, your implementation is thoughtful and you're not, you're going to be less likely to just be chasing the over here and then shifting the over here, but rather just being having a goal forward as to where we want to go. Yes. I love that, that intentionality, right? That it's no longer the wild west of technology. It's like anything goes. It's thoughtful. It's research based. It's best practices. There's a plan, and we follow it. And we're always looking at what is best for students and their learning. I'm going to jump in one thing to your intentionality in that because I think I think one of the things that's happened with the implementation and that thoughtful implementation is exactly people like yourself here in the position that you're at in your district and that. We have that across the state. We had a number of people, you know, that were involved in technology and someone in professional learning for as long as I've been around. However, in the last year since the DTL program really has started, that intentional way of being able to do that has led to a lot of coaching and mentoring, not just in the use of technology, 
but in good educational practices that encompass the use of technology. And like you said, I wouldn't be in the position that I am today without this implementation statewide. And then also those communities of practice that Melanie talked about earlier, we're building a network of support to make sure that this happens the best of our abilities, which is really awesome. But what would your response be to Luddites who hate technology? This goes for both parents and teachers, people who are resistant or downright. No, that's not for me. My students or my kids or my classroom, how would you respond to that? My first response would be, I know, right? It brings a level of complication. I have a lot of empathy for, um, what's the word that you use? Luddites. Does, does that mean I hate them? So <laughs> it's, they were a religious community during the English industrial revolution who didn't like the factories that were going up and they would break the technology in the factories because they were resistant or scared. And so that's what that term means. I would pose this question because I think that this is the key to a lot of what's happening in school right now and the politics of school. And that is the purpose of school to shape society or is the purpose of school to shape students so that they can live in their society. Does school really have the power to say, we're going to say that these things don't exist. So therefore they're not going to exist when these kids grow up because they're all learning the same thing that this is bad. I don't think that we can control what's happening in the world through our schools. This is such a deep question, Kira. I think I could talk about it for an hour. So we're going to try to package it up real small. I think that as educators, we often want school to look like how we experienced it. I know this because when I first started teaching in like 2000, school looked very similar to what I experienced in 1980. And it didn't really change all that much. I think that's because that's where people are comfortable. And we all go into education because we love learning. I mean, very few people love teaching, right? They love learning. And they're the people who are the most accepting of change and they embrace change. And then something happens as our brains kind of age and they become a little bit more plastic and less less plastic and more crystallized, actually. And we kind of get set in our ways. I, I empathize just like you said, Melanie, like where someone says, I'm not using that technology, I'm not doing it. What choice do we have? Can we fire them? Are there like... <laughs> Are there hundreds of thousands of people that are just craving to take those jobs and become teachers? Reality is no. And so I don't think we really have that much of a choice, but to say, okay, and accept and listen and find out why then use that energy that they have, their passion to start moving in the right direction. And it might take some time, but I think that's okay. I don't think we're in a race. I know some people think we are, and those people are usually selling something, but let's accept that. What, why are you resistant of this technology? What is it you're afraid of? Let's go from there. And maybe we could learn something about that technology. They probably have a very valid point. I'm going to quote an awesome ed tech that I worked with uh, down in Southeast Utah. I don't know if she listens to this podcast, but if she does, hi. Teresa Wilson once pointed out that friction is a really good thing when people push back and you have that friction because with that friction, you get traction and then you start moving forward. I love it. Turning 
turning what some people might see as a negative, but turning it into a positive, turning it into a strength, right? That um, you're taking their perspectives and their feedback and you're addressing them and, and you're making an overall stronger product as a result. I really like that. Melanie, your point about empathy, I think it's huge, right? Especially when we are talking about like universal design for learning and even just the design process in general, right? You have to start from a place of empathy before you can design a product to fulfill a need. And I think we need to use that same approach when we're talking to stakeholders and maybe even teachers who are reluctant to engage with digital teaching and learning is to start from a place of empathy. Like everyone, everyone wants what's best for kids and they just might disagree on how to go about doing that, which is an, a much nicer place to be like saying like, oh, we're all on the same side. We just need to decide how we're going to get there. Which I think it's great. This is not a new issue. Uh, it's been around to, for as long as I've been, you know, whether you call them Luddites or rocks or, you know, when we were speedboats, barges and rocks, you know, and there's always going to be some resistance, but it's the process. And I think, you know, exactly what we've said here, you know, between empathy and realizing where people are at and just continuing to show and, you know, that little bit of friction, which can equal distraction. I think sometimes we fail to look back and see how far we really have come and how much we have changed, not just the young educators coming into the system, but the older educators in a vast experience that have also had, have also adapted and changed. Do they use technology in everything they do? Probably not. But I think their implementation when they do use it is thoughtful. Um, and we certainly have come a long ways from uh, doing mouse drills and how to use a computer to uh, being able to be able to be where we're at today, where, you know, most teachers can do some things and are, and are open to students, I think, being able to use it. And I think sometimes it's not so much the teacher using it, it's the teacher making it available to the students to be able to have new opportunities as well. Yes. I think that's a really good point that we haven't really touched on is that technology in schools, you need to ask who is using the technology in schools, right? Is it just the teacher um, or are the students using it in interesting and innovative ways. I think it's huge. And that goes back to Michael's point about PCBL, right? Is that are we creating opportunities for our students to be creators instead of just consumers? Yeah. Can I take a second to clarify something I said earlier? Because I don't want to mis be misquoted when I mentioned that as we get older, our brains crystallize. That might be interpreted as older teachers are more likely to be resistant to using technology or innovating in their education. And that's actually not the case. Uh, two teachers that come to mind that have been extremely innovative, a librarian in Thermont, Maryland, back in like the early 2000s, who actually said, I'm retiring in four years. And between now and then, I want to get my hands on every cool tech tool I can use with my students and just learn as much as I possibly can. And she was like the first to ask for a smart board and things like that. And another teacher I worked with at Willow Springs Elementary here in the Canyons District when I first moved to Utah, uh, an older gentleman teaching fifth grade who was in a second career, had retired from being a lawyer, believe it or not, and was now teaching fifth grade, said, hey, give me an iPad cart. I want one of those in my classroom. And I was like, but are you familiar with an iPad? He goes, oh, it doesn't matter. The kids will teach me. Just that mindset of, of like putting the technology in the hands of the students and then being more of a facilitator than having 
to be the, you know, the leader of the mm-hmm. classroom. That's what is really important. And maybe that comes with age, that comfort of, you know, I don't have to control every minute of the day. So this word, I don't want to get branded as like an ageist. Yeah. Well, and I think this actually goes back to what Rick was saying earlier in the episode where you talked about skills and attitudes are more what we're teaching rather than content or information. So kind of marrying the two stories, this teacher who had a lot of life experience but may not have known the technology as well, he's not telling the students, oh, teacher cells, like figure it out for yourself, but he's rather saying like, let's partner my experience, my skill set of knowing how to navigate different things, critical thinking, collaboration, conversation, like helping kids learn those skills and then partnering that with kids' inclination towards technology. Yes, they can figure things out, but can they use it to the best of their ability? No, that, that's why we need teachers, right? That's why we need uh, expertise to help our students be the best digital citizens that they can be. And so I I think that's also a fear of teachers that are scared of technology is that it'll replace the teacher. Mm-hmm. But what we're talking about is the thoughtful, intentional use of technology that needs a teacher more than ever, right? It's not that. It's not that I need to be an expert in every tool, but I am a teacher who can help teach my students to be the best citizen and user possible. Yeah, the technology can really be the tool that helps extend the teacher's reach, have more of an impact, and to hopefully be more efficient. Like teachers are tired, right? We're all tired. Mm-hmm. But the technology can be that great equalizer that comes back to what we said before. But what you mentioned about teaching students skills and dispositions, we can't forget that the academic mastery, that the knowledge, that's our vehicle. That's what we use to create the conditions in which those students then learn those skills. So we can't really necessarily teach critical thinking or complex problem solving. Like there is no like four-step process to it, but we can use math and science and these experiences for students to develop those skills and then demonstrate them. And then maybe we need to have another podcast episode, but that brings us to a completely different um, type of assessment, right? There's so many questions that I still want to ask and we are rapidly losing time. I know that some of your best part of the job at USB is being able to go visit schools and see the cool stuff that teachers are doing. So I, my next question is like, what are some successful examples of technology integration that you've had a chance to observe? Take a minute and, and brag or spotlight. What are some cool things that you're seeing in Utah schools? So Utah has received funding for a lot of standalone pieces of software that sometimes teachers put their students on and walk away. Sometimes their their lunch is scheduled during that time. So I have seen teachers really use the dashboards in those standalone programs to really help students, to group them according to, oh, these four students, they're not, they, they just recently made mistakes on putting the negative sign in front of parentheses. So um, I'm gonna put them in a group and have another student go over that with them and help them have some extra practice on that so that they can get into that habit. So what I have seen that's been really great is teachers who have used these standalone programs, they've used the data that they get back from them to really hone in on what their students need to learn. Very cool. My most recent site visits over the last year or so have been to observe personalized competency-based learning strategies. And a lot of times that's around how they're building a culture of learning. 
and mm-hmm. then providing students with learner agency, which is kind of a fleeting moment, right? Like, oh, I have learner agency. I chose this book to read, or I'm going to make my project this way. But what we really want students to become are self-directed learners. And Melanie mentioned that earlier in the episode. So what I'm been seeing is the use of technology to allow students to adjust their own pacing and having an opportunity to choose different forms of content. So if you walk into a kindergarten or a first grade classroom in Juab School District and you see a student on an iPad doing their reading practice and they're reading something completely different from another child and maybe they're in a different program or tool, but they're choosing what works best for them. And then what really impacted me was I heard a teacher say, okay, everyone put your iPads away. If you have them, put your dry erase boards back, put your books back. We're going to have reading time. And this little girl said, oh no, I didn't finish. And as she moved her, carried her iPad back, she went, that's okay, I've got tomorrow. And just that mindset of, I don't have to learn this like on some Amtrak schedule where it's like 8.20, standard one, nine o'clock, math, 10 o'clock, standard four dot, you know, they can move through until they feel competent and they own their learning. That can't happen without the technology. That doesn't have, I'm, I I don't want to be like an anti-Luddite, but that can't happen on paper. You have to have a tool that allows the students to have access to different content because a teacher just simply can't differentiate that much. So we put the power in the students to personalize their learning and they take control of it. So I saw that. I've also seen some amazing things in the Alpine School District where they're using Chromebooks one-to-one in high schools. I've seen some incredible things at American Fork where they're using Chromebooks one-to-one and it just gives students the flexibility to Uh, be able to send a writing sample to a teacher when they're done, not in period four, but you know, when they're done and to be able to collaborate through all of the other Google tools that are available from the Chromebook, you know, when it meets their needs, like when the time for learning is right for them and not based on a schedule and, and access to all of that content. And then I also just visited a school last week, Bridge Charter Elementary, where They use a lot of computer-aided instruction combined with small group instruction and with direct instruction. Um, There wasn't a whole lot of like whole class lecture instruction, but just the fact that the students were so fluent with the tools and they knew they were doing their reading work and they knew which program to open and how to use it. And they weren't using it like with fidelity. I know that's become kind of a bad word, but they were allowing the students to get the support they needed when they needed it as they moved throughout their day. Again, that wouldn't be possible without all of those software programs they were using and the devices. Just amazing how teachers are changing the way they're teaching and able to personalize learning for students because of the tech. And I knew Michael would do a very good job at answering that question because I think he really hit on some of the things that I've noted. As a teacher uh, years ago, I. I had to move my class pretty much forward all at the same time. And so you end up oftentimes moving at the least common denominator, not being able to have the flexibility to personalize or to pace differently. But in schools where I have seen really, I think, effective use of technology, I see the teachers actually been able, in some respects, been able to clone themselves uh, and being able to do different things. They might be able to work with one group, but they've got other tools and resources they may even have things that they have recorded and put out that uh, allows the students to different groups to be able to do it different things and, and using a variety of tools. 
and knowing how to use those tools. I think that uh, one of the most uh, interesting moments I had was at Juab Middle School a little over a year ago. We were being led around by a eighth eighth grade student. She's 14 years old. She knew why the technology was there. Probably gave the best definition. She goes, the tools are there to help me. And, you know, sometimes I have to be out doing what she was doing, guiding us through the school. I can go back and I can watch what the teacher did because the teachers recorded her lecture. Or if I have a question and I get stuck on something, I know where the video resources are that the teachers identified that I can go in there and I can see how to do that so that I can continue to make progress. But she had ownership of her learning. And I think it's that ownership also, you know, and just the enthusiasm that I've seen in students as they've created projects and being able to do things that are differently, being able to work in a group and to collaborate, much like we might do in a team like we're doing here, uh, and be able to come out with something that they're really proud of at the on, on the end, and the ownership that they have. And you know that the time and, 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 and effort that was put into that has to help them to really understand the concepts in that that they were uh, that they were being asked to learn in that, and they're solidified because they've got an actually they've got experience in actually doing those things. And those are the kinds of things that I that I like to see when I when I go out there, and I have been seeing. Wonderful! I love all, I love all these examples of seeing this in action and seeing teachers and students doing really cool things with technology, but also taking ownership of their learning and sharing it with the wider world. To wrap up our discussion today, uh, I wanted just to bring us back to our USET theme together at USET and how USET works with different partner members. How does USBE support USET and vice versa? What is the connection and the collaboration that you see between our two organizations? USET provides an, uh, you know, a real showcase of the, of the very things that we, that we value, you know, it's the tools in the classroom and the effective use it's teachers being able to come and to learn new ways and new resources and, and to go out with some real excitement and some enthusiasm to, to try, you know, it's, it's been a long-standing partnership. It even predates my time at the state board of education. You know, that we, we value the conference, you know, we value the conference, we value what it does, and we value that it's, although it, it's focused around technology, it's really focused around good educational practice. I'm, I'm afraid to answer that because I've served on the USET board uh, as when at a time when I was working for a school district and when I was working for UEN, and now that I'm at the state board of education, I see a different perspective. I think a lot of times with our state board of education, we're involved with law and policy and accountability and budget and finance. And it's really easy to get bogged down in how slow that process moves since it is a part of government. Um, you set, it has a constantly evolving board. I mean, Kira, you're on the board, right? And mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's new people coming in all the time with new ideas that can really innovate and bring the community together and do things that at a state agency level we can't. So it's just so nice to have that sort of like that extra player on the field that is so much more dynamic and flexible. So it's, yeah, I think you said just, it brings a different sort of like the, this podcast that you've created, your ed chats on Wednesday nights, your opportunities for people to be part of the process 
that they might not get to be part of the process through a state board of education really brings in so many different voices. And that's a, that's a powerful tool. And I just appreciate that so many people who have uh, worked with the USED board or been with USBE and vice versa. And Rick, he is like the epitome of this has been, he's, he's been part of USED since it was before it was called USED, right? Uh, <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Well, almost. <laughs> uh, you know, that about four I, logos ago. You, you really have this institutional knowledge, right? This, and he, he does the same thing here at USBE that I remember working with Rick at USED was like, Oh, hey, Michael, that's a great idea. We tried that in 1995 and it didn't work because of this, but maybe now this will work. And just to be able to have that perspective and that knowledge is, is really valuable. And then that strength is uh, increased because of all of the different people at USET who work together over the years. I think I need the Kleenex. I loved my time working on the USET board. Can I come on back on the board again? Can I come back? Anytime. All right, I'll run, uh, I'll run next year. How's that sound? I appreciate so much what Rick and Michael said. I just came back from an, a national conference with state education technology leaders, and it was so nice to talk about all of the conversations that are happening in our state that are not initiated by the state office. It was really exciting to think that this is a machine that is moving forward with, with a whole lot of momentum. I've really enjoyed our conversation today, and I've really appreciated you guys being on the podcast to talk about digital teaching and learning throughout the state of Utah. I know Twitter's in a little bit of a hellfire right now, but is there any way that you want people to keep track of you or follow the work that you're doing? Now is the time to shout it out. Twitter's in a little bit of a, did you say hellfire? We're in Utah, Kira. It's a heck fire. <laughs> Caution there. We're going to have to put a mature rating on this podcast. You know what? You just, this conversation, I started by saying, I wish you guys hadn't shared follow Michael on Twitter because I'm not going to use Twitter anymore. And then something in my head snapped. I went back to the like plastic brain. I need to be on Twitter more and I will start sharing things. And we've had some stories about some of our LEAs featured on KnowledgeWorks and Aurora Institute's blogs. And so I'll tweet them out. And so here's my theory. And I said this to people back when they said the internet was like this horrible, evil thing. And that's not true. So basically we can't take down the bad things that are on Twitter, but we can put more good things up. And I will start tweeting things about the, some of the schools I visited and the articles that have been in KnowledgeWorks and Aurora Institute. And I will put them on, on the Twitter. You know, I... I'm not one that's probably going to tweet much. Just, just not, you know, it's just not me. I guess it was one of those things that came along, uh, I, you know, but if there are those that are out, you know, if, you know, if, if there are some practices and some things that are going on that people are really proud of, we would like to know about those because we can always publish those in our detailed newsletter, which goes across the state and which would be another, another opportunity to share. And then Michael can tweet about those as well. <laughs> um, Rick, that's awesome. How do they contact you guys about that? Uh, just send it to our emails, rick.gaysford at schools.utah.gov or melanie.durfee or michael.hackerinen at schools.utah.gov. Thank you. The formula's there. The formula's there. 
plug and play. Thank you again so much, uh, the detailed team at USBE for being on our podcast today. I really appreciated it and look forward to seeing you guys next time. Thanks for joining us today to discuss the digital learning landscape and all the cool things happening around the state with PCBL. At the end of each episode this year, we will spotlight something in Utah that connects to the topic at hand. For this month, we would like to highlight the Utah Leading Through Effective and Actionable and Dynamic Education, which the acronym, because in education we love acronyms, is ULEAD. ULEAD is a research clearinghouse and repository of accessible electronic resources designed to improve practices in the public schools of the state. An emphasis is placed on innovative, effective, and efficient practices that can be shared and replicated in comparable schools. ULEAD has a new director this year, Dr. Megan Everett, who is doing great work getting ULEAD out there and finding good stuff in Utah schools to share with everyone else. USET also has a new feature at the conference this year, working in conjunction with ULEAD, called the Highlight Hive, where ULEAD is curating awesome things from different LEAs around the state to share with USET attendees. If your school or district is doing something we're celebrating, please reach out to Megan to get featured, and I will put her information in the link in the episode description. Thanks again for joining us. I'm your host, Kira Bettis, and I will see you next time.